Done. All right, once again, good to see you tonight. Thanks for coming out on uh, Sunday night. And we're going to be right back in Romans chapter 6, and we'll spend a little bit of time in 2 Timothy as well. So, uh, as we like to say here, at least on Sunday nights, we like to peel God's word one passage at a time. And uh, tonight again, we'll be in Romans chapter uh, um, 6 as we get into our message. So tonight we're calling this, and uh, there were handouts, uh, if you didn't get one, they're on the back podium. We're going to talk about being Jesus-focused in a secular society. Jesus-focused in a secular society. Uh, Tony's got the handouts. If uh, you need one, he's coming down the aisle. He'll be happy to give you one. Thanks, Tony. And uh, might help you a little bit as you follow along. So Jesus-focused in a secular society. Folks, whether uh, we like it or not, we live in a secular society. We do not live in a Christian society. In fact, as we've made statement many times the government calls this a post-christian era which is of course very disturbing to those of us that know christ but we indeed do live in what i mean christianity now even though many people claim to be christians uh, the unfortunate truth is very few people actually follow a christian world view let's talk about that for a minute now how many of you uh and we can talk a little bit back and forth tonight. How many of you watch or, or listen to, uh, I believe it's called Worldview Weekend, Brandon House? Most of you know who he is, right? All right. And he'll talk, he'll often talk about, and I don't get to listen to him too often, but he'll talk about having a Christian worldview. Well, what does that mean? Well, when we're looking at what we're, we've been doing on Sunday nights, and really every message we do here ties into it, we all want to have a Christian or biblical worldview. And what does that mean? It means everything we do, everything we say, everything that uh, uh, is part of our life, we always want to do it with a biblical worldview. Now, that doesn't mean we're only talking about church. That means we're talking about when you're at school, when you're at work, when you're on the ball field, when you're uh, having recreation, when you're on vacation. Uh, a biblical worldview does not confine itself, if you will, to the church. It confines it to every single thing we do. Uh, so our world view, if you will, having a biblical basis for what we do should absolutely permeate your life 365 days uh, a year. Uh, how many hours are there? 24 hours in a day. I wish there were more sometimes, but 24 hours a day, uh, seven days a week, 365 days a year. We want to have a uh, be Christ-focused, have a biblical worldview, and you say, well, can you expand on that a little bit? Well, thanks for asking, I can. And uh, when, we, when we look at, and uh, I haven't, we did this in uh, the ABF, the Adult Bible Fellowship, for a while, we're talking about what are the issues you face, that I face, that we all face as God's people today. And uh, it's basically this. We've got this as our standard but, if you will, the world, the government, uh, the media, everything about us, the many folks that don't know Christ, which is the vast majority of people, they're constantly pushing towards us to adapt to, if you will, secularism. Uh, so I like to use some fancy words. The pluralization, which, what does that mean? Well, plural is what? It's more than one. 
And when you take the biblical worldview and trying to add things into it, you've now been, uh, you adapt a pluralistic biblical, unbiblical view, really. So if you're not 100% biblical, you got a problem. You've, you've, you've been uh, going into pluralism, or as the other word, syncretizing the world system with uh, the biblical system. And folks, that's not going to work well. So that's what we're, we're looking at. So here's what we're going to basically center out tonight. Here's a few questions to think about. Is it possible to live a holy life in our secular culture? Can you live for Christ in a world that's gone crazy? Can you live for Christ in a world that basically says we don't want anything to do with Christianity? Can you live for Christ and uh, uh, saw, and I won't name uh, the individual because we're on the air right now, but an uh, individual that uh, one of our missionaries that we sport, that we sport just came back from uh, a highly, highly, uh, if you will, area that hates Christians. It's very strong Islam, Muslim, and every time this person goes overseas, I, you always wonder, is he going to come back? And uh, can you live in a Christian lifestyle in, if you will, a country or an area that absolutely hates the Lord? Well, what's the answer to that? The answer is absolutely you can. Now, the Bible also says in 2 Timothy that all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer what? They're going to suffer persecution. And, and we're not used to that here in America much. We get, uh, we get a little pushback. We get uh, the government uh, trying to shut down some churches every now and then. And you get some people that are antagonistic. But, folks, it's not like when you go overseas into a country where, I mean, they literally will take your head off today. I mean, we're not talking about something 2,000 years ago or something in the future. You go to certain countries, you could lose your life today for serving Christ. So that's something to keep in mind. Can you live holy in a secular, anti-God society? The answer is yes. Will you potentially suffer persecution for it? You are, right? I mean, it's going to happen. And so far in America, we've been, uh, the Lord's protected us for the most part. We have very, very little repercussions here. But uh, can it get worse? Of course it can. So now I'm going to ask the next question a little bit harsher. Seriously. Do you want to live a holy life? Do you want to live a holy life? Do you want to be, and what does it mean to live a holy life? And this is like, wow, you know, that's, that's pretty heavy, heavy thought. Holy life means to be separated. That's really what the word, word means. Separated from a secular lifestyle, a fleshly lifestyle, a worldly lifestyle, and actually live a holy separated life to God. Now, does that mean you have to... Uh, go off into a pea patch somewhere and not talk to people and hide yourself from everything and basically uh, uh, cloister yourself? No, it doesn't. Can you live holy in our society? And the answer is I believe you absolutely can. So we're going to try and help you along those lines tonight. And here's the operative question, and we started with this uh, last week when we went into this passage. Who or what controls what you do? And I hope that's the answer, right? I hope it's the Lord that's controlling what you do. But when you examine yourself, and boy, I mean, this morning was kind of a heavy message when we went into 1 Corinthians and looked at all the, I mean, serious struggles that that church faced. 
the horrible sin that had taken place in that particular church. And uh, as we will see next week, God transformed those people and they matured in Christ. But ask yourself this. I mean, look at your own and, and just self-examine yourself for a minute. Let's pretend uh, we're taking communion tonight. 1 Corinthians 11 says what? Examine yourself before you take the cup. Now, we're not taking communion tonight, but let's go there. If you're sitting there and you're, you're thinking about, does my life exemplify who Christ is? Would I be considered in God's eyes, forget about people right now, in God's eyes, Am I separate from those things which I know are going to harm my walk with Christ? And some of you might be able to say, man, you know, I've, I've really, I've been working hard. I'm, I'm, I'm spending time with the Lord. I'm praying. I'm, I'm faithful to church. Uh, I witness when I'm not here. My lifestyle has been very worldview or biblically worldview oriented. And, and you made great progress in that, in that realm. And that's wonderful. Others may say, ah, you know, I'm, it's a struggle. So I want you to think about that tonight as we look at this passage and hopefully get some encouragement along these lines to follow the Lord. So tonight we're going to examine the outcome of allowing yourself to be Jesus-focused. Jesus-focused. And uh, go back to that, I uh, forget how many years ago it was, but the little bands that everybody wore and the caps that everybody wore, what did they say? Four letters. WW, yeah, what would Jesus do? WWJD, what would Jesus do? And uh, it was kind of a, I don't know if I liked it or didn't like it, but it definitely got you thinking. What would Jesus do? It's kind of a, maybe a, I don't know, a stylish way to do it. Um, I don't know how we call it, but it did. It focused in on what would Jesus actually do in this circumstance? And I do think that's a wonderful question to ask ourselves before we do it. All right, so I'm going to, uh, we got through a whopping two slides last week. I'm going to just review them very quickly, then we'll get into the new content. So let's go to uh, Romans chapter 6. Let's read, uh, start at verse 15, and we'll read a few verses. Romans chapter 6, starting at verse 15. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law? Which law are we talking about here? The Mosaic Law, all right? What then, shall we, con shall we sin because we are not under law, specifically the Mosaic Law, but under grace? Every single Sunday morning, every single Sunday night, every time we get together, we talk about you're saved by what? God's grace, God's free and merited gift. And uh, now, here, here is the issue, and we'll get into it again. Uh, let's read it first. I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. What then, shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know, Christian, that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered and having been set free. In other words, those slave bondage were broken off your hands, so to speak. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of, and of lawlessness, 
leading to more lawlessness. So now, Christian, present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. So what are we looking at? We're looking at, in this term, we're looking at something that during the first century had meaning. Now, slavery does not exist in this country. Now, some will say, well, you're, you're off there, Pastor. How about uh, um, slaves, if you will, of young people, young ladies that have been forced into trafficking and all that? All right, that does exist. But as a, a norm for our society, slavery has been outlawed. It doesn't exist here. So when we think about slavery, and of course it has a horrible, horrible concept with it, and uh, many folks that live in America today, they'll revert back to uh, uh, the slavery that took place in America and, and uh, when the, uh, the African-American folks came to uh, our land, were actually forced to come here, and there was horrible bondage of slavery, and that's something we understand. Culturally, we understand what took place. Culturally, we understand it was an abominable thing. But here's the issue. When you think about slavery back in New Testament times, it, it technically was the same kind of thing that was taking place in America during those founding years. It was bondage. There's a lot of corruption that took place. There's a lot of abuse of those individuals that took place. And, and now God is saying, listen, culturally, the first century Christians understood what slavery really meant. And I think our culture still understands what it means. And uh, there's a lot of educational things, uh, and I think that part's good, at least to understand what did take place in, in the past history. And slavery, is it looked upon as a good thing or a bad thing? Not abominable, right? I mean, slavery is horrible. Uh, yet God says, listen, I, I, I'm going to kind of do a change up on you here. And he's like, you know, slavery in and of itself, yeah, it's a bad thing. When, when Before you trusted Christ, you literally were the slaves of sin. You gave yourself to it. You were in bondage. You ever heard of the Bondage Breaker? Kind of a famous book that's out there, counseling book. Bondage Breaker. Uh, you're basically stuck under satanic control. You're being ruled by that which is horrible, that which is wrong. And God says, you were willing slaves. You submitted yourself to it. You embraced it. And now he's saying, listen, I want those bonds, if you will, that slavery, uh, a horrible position. I want you to break free from that, and I want you to become slaves of Christ. Just absolutely give yourself to the Lord. So he takes that which is horrible, that which is uh, something that's distasteful to all of us, and he says, listen, you need to be slaves of Christ, willingly. By the way, think about Jesus for a moment. Do we ever call him Lord? Do we? I hope so. The Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, do we ever call uh, his disciples at times? We'll call him Master. Master, Lord, by the way, the Christ, the Messiah, same uh, uh, synonymous type term. And when they looked at Jesus, was he a harsh taskmaster? No. He was a loving, kind God in the form of a human being who comes down to this earth and says, listen, guys, I'm here. I'm here. I'm going to help you. 
uh, would you like to be fishers of men? Would you like to join my team and, and uh, show folks how to go to heaven when they die and show them where hope is? And all of a sudden, people, uh, all of a sudden, the disciples and many others and folks even today in, those, in this room said, listen, I, I, I'm embracing that free gift of eternal life uh, by grace, by God's grace. And God's saying, listen, all right, you were in bondage. You were in sin. You were past tense. It's like it's, it should be gone. And now he's saying, listen, if you want to live a wholly separated life, one that uh, it, it'll never be free from sin until we get to heaven, but one where really sin is kind of sitting off to the side instead of being the mainstay in your life. And he's saying, listen, would you embrace it? Would you become a slave of righteousness? And that's what he's saying. Embrace it. And, and you say, well, pastor, that's, that's a nasty term. It's a rotten term. I don't like that term. And God says, well, it's a good term if you use it right. But when you willingly give yourself to the Lord, when you willingly say, I'm done with all the mess, I'm done with all the nonsense, I want to serve the Lord. And, and you make that commitment to him, and you become, if you will, a slave of Christ. All right, let's go to the slides. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Again, what was the issue here? And we'll go to the next one. We talked about this last week. It was this big word named antinomianism. Anti meaning against and law meaning nomos. What is he saying? There is a group that said this, and we went through this several times and said, listen, God's really good, isn't he? And everybody said, amen. God's good. And God is, is full of grace. He's, he, he, we do it, I mean, we, we hand out, uh, books on occasion and when we have first well almost every single Sunday we have uh, first time visitors and we give them a gift and uh, I, I've done you've seen me do this several times where I'll take the book and uh, I'll, I'll say listen uh, uh, we'll illustrate it and Josh usually is up here he's getting way too many books uh, but uh, Josh will be up in here and say Josh uh, what do you need to do to take the free gift and he reaches out and takes another book and I said don't give it back to me otherwise you mess up the illustration it's a free gift you don't pay anything for it you keep it it never comes back to the owner it's the gift and and, and the antinomianism basically the group during the first century said this just as a reminder what did they say listen Let's sin as much as we can. Let's live as immoral as we can. Let's live as unethically as we can. And we're going to prove how good God is because of his wonderful grace. So we're going to sin, sin, sin. And God, in his wonderful grace and mercy, will forgive us. Well, folks, that's the exact opposite of what the Lord asks us to do as his people. Right? I mean, it's just wrong. And uh, uh, that's the question when we go back to the verse. Shall we sin because we are not under law, specifically the Mosaic law, but under grace? Well, what's the answer? Certainly not. Basically, in uh, what <laughs> the vernacular that I would use is, are you kidding me? Absolutely, positively, unequivocally, no. Do not embrace sin. Basically, he's saying, listen, you get that, uh, have you ever uh, seen a lock on a chain link fence? And uh, maybe the police shows up, or maybe a burglar, which is probably more the case. And uh, a burglar's got one of those big set of 
giant like, uh, uh, what would you call them, bolt cutters. There we go. They got a big set of bolt cutters, and uh, uh, the lock is, is on the fence, and they walk up those big bolt cutters, grab that big old lock, and bam, you push down, and it pops the lock open. And what that's, uh, what is he saying here? Certainly not. Don't be bound up by sin. In fact, take the bolt cutters, if you will, pull that lock off and get rid of it. How shall we who, what? We died to sin. What do you mean we died to sin? Well, he's talking figuratively, of course. The moment that you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that moment, Bible basically states this, you died to sin. Sin no longer has control over you. Sin is no longer that which enslaves you. God's saying, listen, isn't that good? I mean, it's just like uh, cutting that bolt off that fence. Bam, I'm not enslaved by it anymore, and the gate busts open, and in you go. Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live anymore in it? Oh, by the way, what verse was that? Romans chapter 6, verse 2. And uh, now we're down in verse 15, and what does he say? Or he's repeating it. You see, when God wants you to get something, he knows that we don't always catch it the first time, so two times in one chapter we get the same thing. Shall we continue in sin in chapter 6, verse 1? Shall we continue in sin in chapter 6, verse 15? And what's the answer in chapter 6, verse 15? The same one that he gave in a few verses earlier, which is do not latch on, do not embrace, do not allow yourselves to be slaves of what? Slaves of sin. You've been cut off. You're dead to it. You're done with it. You've been set free from it. The bolt has been yanked off the fence, free at last. Now, you know that from a, a civil rights leader, but boy, it's good from a spiritual standpoint too. Free at last. When you placed your faith and trust in, in Christ, sin and its bondage was removed. The bondage breaker. Who's the bondage breaker? It's Christ, of course. Uh, you give your life to Jesus, and all of a sudden the bonds of sin have been taken off. The chains have been taken off. How many of you listen to, uh, maybe on VCY here at other few other stations, Unshackled? Right? I mean, it's a wonderful, wonderful uh, program. If you've never listened to it, I encourage you to do so. Go to uh, vcy.com, download their schedule, and listen to Unshackled if you're able to. And uh, I've said this before. When I first got saved, and uh, a couple of older gentlemen, in fact, a lot older than myself, they took me underneath their wing as a, as a young teenage convert to Christianity. And uh, uh, I, I immediately, I mean, uh, talk about, uh, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back here, but it's like, what happened? I mean, I, I went from the bottle to steak in like just a couple of weeks. It was a very quick transformation. God worked on my heart. And uh, uh, I had a, a burning desire to serve the Lord right after I'd gotten right with the Lord. And uh, uh, some of these gentlemen that were much, much older than I, one was uh, uh, a guy named uh, Tony Cousins. Can I tell you about Tony for a minute? Tony was a retired postal worker. I was uh, 16, 17 years old. He was about 82 years old. And uh, I went to youth group. And uh, 
You know, most teenagers, and, and I was into sports, I was in all that kind of thing, but man, when I was at youth group, I didn't want to do sports, I didn't want to hang out, I didn't want to date the girls. I wanted to, I, I mean, I was just starving to death to get the word of God in my head. And, and it was exciting. And uh, uh, I kind of latched on to Tony. I mean, good night. I'm 16, 17 years old. This guy's 82. I remember his hands. I mean, he was horrible arthritis. But man, this guy loved the Lord. And I was a big guy. He was a, a small, short guy, retired postal worker. And uh, he just took me under his wing. I remember a couple other of the, the same men, and they're like, uh, I mean, they talk with me, and they'd encourage me. And uh, while everybody else is out having fun, I suppose I should have done a little of that. But it's like, man, I just wanted to talk to these guys and uh, uh, grow in my faith. And they, they said, Rich, uh, uh, how about going to Pacific Garden Mission with us? Which, by the way, is where Unshackled's taped. And uh, how'd you like to go to the rescue mission, mission with us? And I'm like, man. I said, that sounds great. They're like, you know, uh, uh, it's about maybe a little bit deeper, but it's about the size of our church, a little bit more in length, at least back then. Now they have a new building, which I've not been to. But I went to Pacific Garden Mission, and uh, Tony Cousins would be there, 82-year-old man. And we, and we come in, and uh, those of you that remember Harry Saulnier, and I've, I've mentioned this in the past, Harry Saulnier, the uh, superintendent of Pacific Garden Mission, would fall on his face get on his old, horrible, horrible, horrible arthritic legs. I mean, the man could barely walk. Yet every time before every single service, multiple times during uh, every single day, he'd fall on his face, he'd uh, uh, get on his knees, and he'd beg God for the souls of those individuals that were coming to Pacific Garden Mission. People that were stuck on alcohol, stuck on drugs, horrible bondage that they're in. Listen, folks, can God break the bondage of alcohol? He can. Can God break the bondage of drugs? Absolutely he can. Can God give somebody a new life? You say there's no hope for them. They've been in and out of rehab 10 times, 20 times. Uh, they've died 13 times and had Narcan given to them and been brought to life and they just don't ever seem to change. It's just constant walls, constant walls, constant fighting God. Oh, I prayed for them. We've, we've given them the gospel over and over again and their hearts are hardened. Folks, I am telling you, every single week I talk to folks that have young people that have even some that uh, uh, have much older children and loved ones that are stuck in the bondage of drugs and alcohol and other things that are just destroying their lives. And might I say this, can God change the heart? Does, can God change the heart when somebody's 30 years old? How about when they're 60? I think at 80 there's no hope, is there? I think there is too. It doesn't matter how old they are, whether they're 30, 40, 50, 80, 100, or more, and God can change the heart. doesn't matter how old they are. Every single person has a soul for whom Christ died, and Jesus Christ loves every single one. Don't you ever give up on somebody that you know that's in sin. Don't give up on them. I mean, you just keep fighting, and you keep praying, and you keep uh, uh, sharing with them, and you keep loving them, and you keep feeding them scripture every time you possibly can, and you keep on your face and on your knees like old Harry saw near with his legs falling apart, barely able to stand up, and he's there crying and begging God for souls, and every single time I've been at Pacific Garden Mission, and I went there uh, at least once a month for many, many years with the guys, every time 
Lots of, lots of them would come. They give the invitation. And it's like, man, these got to be the same guys that are always here. No, I mean, every time there'd be new, new men that would come, some ladies that would be in there. And down the aisle, they'd come when the invitation's given. And, and men trusting Christ, lives transformed, shedding off alcohol. All of a sudden, uh, uh, they become workers at Pacific Garden Mission or maybe some other church. And their lives are completely transformed. And they are what? They are unshackled. Praise the Lord. And, and it's good stuff because God breaks the bondage of sin. He unshackles the shackled heart. Can God still do that today? He's doing it every single day, folks. Every single day, God is unshackling individuals whose lives have been steeped in sin maybe for many, many, many years. And all of a sudden, God touches them. And uh, in, in, in walks uh, a serviceman that uh, just got... Uh, maybe from Great Lakes, and, and he's scared, and he's messed up, and maybe he's on alcohol or drugs. Maybe it's that street person that uh, uh, you've seen downtown uh, uh, week after week after week, and maybe it's in Milwaukee, or maybe it's Racine, or maybe it's right down the street here in Union Grove or Kenosha, and it's like, can God still save that person? Can God wipe them out of the stupor that they've been in year after year after year? And God says, yeah, I can do that. I can do that. And uh, he looks at second. Uh, Corinthians chapter 5 verse 20 and he says listen folks uh, oh here's what you can do you can be my ambassador you can go to that person and you say well I tried and they said get away from me and they swore at me and they cussed at me and they said I want nothing to do with that gospel and God says well go back again you say I can't go back again they told me they don't want to talk to me and go back again and maybe you bring them a cookie or a flower or something nice or a little meal and it's like, hey, you know, I was thinking about you. I was praying for you. And like, you were praying for me? By the way, folks, you know when you talk to an unsaved person and you do something nice for them, they're like, what do you want? What do you want? It's not what I want. It's what I want for you. What? Folks, people are not used to people caring about them. They're down and out. They've been pushing away Christ, some for a few years, some for many years. And God said, listen, it's, it's time to break the bondage of sin. Well, I got way off track, but boy, it's certainly needed. Romans chapter 6, verse 16. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are, you are that one's slaves whom you obey? Now, if you choose to, the, to, to live in sin, what does it lead to? I mean, it's death. It's destruction. It's nothing positive about it but he's like christian listen you understand what slavery is and those of you especially that got saved a little bit later in life you understand what it was to be in bondage before you trusted christ and he's like how'd you how'd you like that how'd you feel about that and you're like man you know at times yeah sin is fun for a season i had some good times but man i'd go home and i'd suffer the repercussions Maybe it was hangover the next day. Maybe it was drug withdrawals when you couldn't get a fix. Maybe it was some type of sickness because you uh, went to an immoral place and the next thing you know you had uh, some type of disease that you had contracted through that. And God says, listen, how about contracting something good when you decide to give your life to Christ and live for him 
And tomorrow when you go to work, it's like, I'm going to live for Jesus tomorrow. I'm going to serve him. I'm going to watch my mouth. I'm not going to swear. I'm not going to do things, uh, uh, take part in the immorality that's taking place at work. I'm not going to laugh at the stupid jokes that they tell that are immoral and wrong and I know are wrong. I'm not going to try and fit in just so I can fit in. Folks, if you don't stand for something, you do what? You fall for anything. The stronger your testimony is, being a slave to Jesus, people will notice. When you're on, think about it in a cultural situation. Let's take a walk back into the first century. And as you walk down the, the streets of Israel, you'll see the people that are dressed nice. They have nice food. They probably got a little bit of weight to them, which was a sign of money back in the day. I, I, I may not have a lot of money, but I have the signs of it back from first century anyway. And, uh, but but, but they, they dressed a certain way. They looked a certain way. They acted a certain way. And then all of a sudden, somebody came walking uh, down the street, and they kind of walked like this, and their head was kind of down, and, and their clothes weren't uh, quite as nice as everyone else's. And everybody said, well, there, there comes a so-and-so slave. I mean, it, it just stood out. You knew who the slaves were. And, and what God is saying here for God's people is, when you're walking at, when you're going to school, young people, when you go to school, and you, it's not about the clothes that you're wearing, it's about the attitude that you have and how you treat folks. Uh, this is a rhetorical question, which means you don't answer it. <laughs> Remember being back in school, and uh, you didn't like somebody? Nah, I know nobody here ever did that, right? And uh, how, how'd you... I mean, uh, uh, even if you might have been saved, but it, it, a lot of us, of course, weren't saved back when we were in grade school. Some of you were. And what happens when you're a slave to sin? How'd you treat those people? Yeah, poorly. There you go. I've told the story many times. I'd come home from school, in grade school, and there would be my mom, prostrate on the bed, crying. You say, well, why is your mom crying? Is she, what was the problem? Because well, she'd gotten a call from school. And uh, school ratted me out, those dirty stinkers. And uh, they told my mom I did some things I shouldn't have done and uh, got in trouble. And uh, uh, my mom, who was a great, wonderful Christian lady, and she'd get the call. And, of course, uh, 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 I'd walk in the door, and there's mom, her heart is broke. Now, now, folks, it's not because I was in what we'll call deep sin. I mean, if the school called and said, Rich pushed somebody, or he turned around and yelled at somebody, or he, you know, he got in a little fight or tiff, that put my mom over the edge. No, I wasn't killing anybody. I wasn't selling drugs. I mean, I didn't do anything like, I mean, is common in schools today. I was just a naughty little boy. And I come home, and I mean, she's beside herself, and, and it's like, my boy is, he's going to the devil, he's doing wrong, and I'm concerned about him, and if he doesn't change and get his heart right with the Lord, he's going to be a disaster. And Mama prayed. And uh, I wasn't saved when those things happened. At least I don't think, no, I wasn't. And uh, what happened? Well, Mom and Dad and uh, my dad hadn't been right with the Lord for some time. He was a good guy, but he wasn't right with the Lord. And uh, finally, they got right with God, and they got saved, and they took me to a Jack Van Impey crusade in downtown Chicago. And there, uh, Jack Van Impey, who's now with the Lord, 
uh, preached on from rags to riches, rags to riches. And uh, my life was transformed and gave my life to the Lord that time. And uh, uh, my mom and my, and my dad, who uh, had just gotten right with the Lord, and they're excited. Why? Because little Richie, I think he's going to do right now. And, and mama's excited, and dad is excited. And young people, uh, let me tell you this, when, when you misbehave and, and you do wrong and uh, you get in trouble at school or you get trouble at home or you get trouble anywhere, and mom and dad, their, their hearts are broke, and it's like, my goodness, and it got to me, and maybe it gets to you, and you see mom and dad, and they're displeased, and they're upset, and it's like, oh, if my, my son would do right, oh, if my daughter would do right, and, and all of a sudden, it gets to you, and then you, uh, somebody preaches the word of God, and all of a sudden, man, it just busts open inside your soul, and it's like, I want to do right, I want to stop disobeying the Lord, I want to stop disobeying mom and dad, and all of a sudden, your life is transformed, and you say, I I don't want to be a slave to sin anymore. I want to be a slave to Jesus Christ and obey him. Let's go to 2 Timothy, and uh, we'll get through this passage and probably close tonight. But I want to go to 2 Timothy chapter 1 and uh, verses 8 to 12 to kind of help us understand this. Remember the Apostle Paul. He's writing to his son in the faith. It's not his biological son. Paul had won uh, uh, somewhere along the line. He had shared the gospel with Timothy, and Timothy trusted Christ under Paul's ministry. And Timothy, here's a guy that's, I mean, he's, he's going to be full bore into the ministry. And Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God is instructing Paul, how do you train Timothy? Here's what you need to tell him. Here's how you need to help him grow in his walk with me. Now, I want you to think about Paul for a few minutes. Do you remember back in uh, the Philippian jailer scene? Where was Paul when the Philippian jailer comes to Christ? Where was he? He was in jail. Paul was in jail. You say, well, why was he in jail? For preaching the gospel. They didn't like it back then. Put him in jail for it, him and Silas. Uh, so he's in, in prison. Uh, uh, you remember a little bit down the line, he's in Jerusalem, and all of a sudden an uproar happens, and uh, uh, they put Paul in jail again. Uh, subsequent to that, he gets uh, arrested again, and he gets put into uh, uh, jail in, in Rome. Now, on the first, first Roman imprisonment, he had a lot of latitude. They let, him, they let him go out in the street. They let him talk to people. They let him bring in things. And uh, he finally gets released from that prison. And now he's at the end of his life. Theologians, for whatever reason, like to call this the swan song, which means this, this is basically it. This is his last message. And he's preaching this swan song. Basically, he's talking to Timothy. Paul's now, he's just a short time away from when he will be martyred for his faith. And Paul is in a Roman prison, and I've been to that prison, at least the one that they claim was the one that Paul might have been in. And what you, the man of time prison, and you can go to it, if you go to Rome, you can still see it. If it and again, I don't know if it's the original or not, they tell you it is. And I, and I go there, and it's like, well, where, where is this thing? And they're like, well, it's, it's right in front of you. And I'm like, well, where? I don't see anything. Well, I see a big kind of circular thing in the ground, and they're like, yep, that's it. And uh, they, they take you in there, and uh, they have steps now where you can go down. So it's basically below level, 
where it would be like going into the ground here, and they drop you in, and of course, I don't think there were a whole lot of six foot four, six foot five guys back then, but the ceiling basically, I mean, my head was hitting it. And Paul was tossed in there. And uh, they would put, put in chains and uh, 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 bad conditions, and it's just like a stone wall that were around them, and it was small. And I do remember that. I mean, there just wasn't a lot of room there. And uh, Paul's in prison. He's in, if you will, this basement-type uh, facility, a hole dug in the ground with basic rock around it, and that's where he is. He's not allowed to have visitors. He's still in chains, but he's able to write this book to Timothy. And he said, listen, son, son of the faith, if you will, my beloved Timothy, I've got some things I want to tell you about that you need to do in your ministry. Let's go to verse 8. Timothy, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his what? His prisoner. Now, he wasn't kidding. He wasn't talking figuratively or symbolically here. Paul had been arrested. He's in the prison in Rome for preaching the gospel. He said, uh, listen, listen, my, uh, my friend Timothy, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Don't be quiet about it. Don't be silent about it. Don't hide it when you're out in the street. Don't protect yourself from giving the gospel, uh, whether it's at school or at home or at uh, uh, your workplace or on the street or no matter where you may be. Don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. Timothy, I, 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 would you please listen? I, I know I'm in a bad place. I, I know that I'm in prison. I'm in prison, though, for doing right. And I don't want you to be ashamed of that. I don't want you to be concerned about that. I want you to be able to express uh, that to other people. But share with me, Timothy, I'm suffering right now. I'm in prison. I'm eating prison food. I'm in shackles. I'm in a horrible condition. And Paul, I believe, knew that his life was going to come to an end shortly when they were going to kill him for his faith. And what does he say? But share with me in the what? The sufferings. The sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. Timothy, would you? I know it's tough. I know the Christian walk isn't always easy. In fact, a lot of times it's just plain tough and hard. And many people are going to reject it, and they're going to reject you, and they're going to reject me. I'm in prison because I preach the gospel. Timothy, my son, I don't want you to walk away. I don't want you to give up. I don't want you to quit. I don't want you to turn back. I want you to take a stand and live for Jesus. In fact, I want you to be his slave, if you will, for righteousness sake verse 9 the power of God who has saved us and called us with a what type of calling a holy calling separated from sin separated unto Jesus you say come on man this is this is 2022 this sounds like something back from uh, 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 days and years ago uh, during the old revivals of of Moody or old revivals of Jonathan Edwards. This, this doesn't happen in 2022. Well, folks, if I didn't believe it happened in 2022, I would step down off this pulpit never to return because I believe God still does do these things. And he will do these things. And revival still can happen. And he still saves people. And he still calls people. And he still calls us to a holy, separated calling. Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose 
and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. But what? What has God done? But has now been revealed by the appearing of us of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death. Listen here, you want to know what the motivating thing is? Why in the world should I serve God? Why should I care about what Jesus wants? Why should I move ahead and move forward with this? And God said, do you, do you remember when you placed your faith and trust in Jesus, Christian? You remember that? He had a couple of young guys in uh, the office this morning, three, three gentlemen. And uh, they came in there, and uh, they'll be sharing their testimonies here in a few weeks. And uh, they, they came in, and they're, they're all, I, th I think every single, all three of them were between about 9 and 11, somewhere in that range. And uh, they said they want to be baptized, and their parents and all that said, yeah, it's, it's fine. And I asked them a question. If you died right now, where would you go? Every single one of them, all three, they sat there and told me how at one point in their life, and I'm not going to tell their stories, they're going to tell them themselves in a few weeks when we baptize them, uh, but they told me uh, uh, how they'd come to Christ. And, and these are young boys, if you will, young men uh, uh, that put and said, man, I I'm not going to live my way. I'm going to embrace who Jesus is, and I'm going to, I want to live for him. I put my faith and trust in him. I act, these little testimonies, man, I mean, I just get all charged up. And these little guys, it's like, man, you know, I want to do right. And, and, I, and I believe in Jesus. And their testimonies were, I mean, they were stellar. It was good stuff. And I'm like, this is wonderful. Hey, what happens? Now, some of you, and, and there's folks here that, I mean, you got saved a whole lot later than 11 or 12 or 13. Some of you got saved in, in your 20s and 30s and even past that. And what does he say here? He's abolished death. Think back. And especially if it's been a while, think back to when you trusted Christ. And all of a sudden, something changed in you, didn't it? I mean, it's like, folks, I, I get almost every time I, in the specials, this, man, it was good. If, and, I mean, I'm a big guy. I'm not supposed to get emotional, that kind of thing. And it's like, well, fooey on that because God gave me emotions the same as he did you. And uh, when I hear good stuff, I get a little emotional about it. And they sang about the glory, uh, the, the, the glory of God this morning. And boy, I just love that song. And uh, uh, you say, well, why do you sit there for a few minutes after they're done? Well, uh, I hate coming up here when I got tears rolling down my face. But it's like, man, it still means something to me. I got saved in a, uh, as a teenager and put my faith and trust in Christ. Every single day that I can, I'm out on the street for an hour or so by myself and listening to good Christian music. And if I hear something and all of a sudden my soul is stirred, and I'll be walking down the street. And I got some folks that live pretty close to us. And I always wear sunglasses because I can't see real good in the, in the light. And uh, sometimes I can't see at all because my... My glasses are filled with tears as uh, some song uh, moves my soul and my heart. And, and I just rejoice, and I've been saved for a lot of years. And still it moves me. Folks, do you get moved by the Holy Spirit? Does it still happen? Do you still say, wow, praise the Lord. Uh, you hear certain music, or you hear a certain message, or you think about a, th a certain thing. or uh, I mean, it just moves you. And I hear about these young uh, uh, men that have placed their faith and trust in Christ. It's like, Woo! Praise the Lord. These young men, they got, they got hope. 
There's, there's hope for them. And uh, uh, in this rotten, horrible society, here's, here's some guys that got the gospel when they're young. Listen, the older you get, what happens? The more you can, you're a slave of sin. And, and yeah, it's a wonderful story like Unshackled when somebody trusts Christ and all of a sudden they give up drugs and they give up alcohol. Well, wouldn't it be nice if they never had it to start with? Wouldn't it be nice that every person possible that we can get to a want of? Folks, I'll get on my soapbox now. You say, how many children do you think we should have in Awana? 100,000 more than we got right now. I don't know where we put all them, but every single child in Union Grove needs to be in Awana, unless they're in another Awana club somewhere else. Every single person that uh, you come in contact with around your home and your neighborhood and little children are there and playing, it's like they need to be in Awana. It's like, well, how are we going to get them there? You invite them. You pick them up. You bring them. Folks, I know we're getting cramped, and I know some of the classes are, are, are big, and I know we, we're literally running out of room in some of these clubs. But what do you do? You get smaller chairs and squeeze them in and don't feed them as much so they can all squeeze in whatever it takes. And you say, well, are you being real about that? I'm, I'm as serious as a heart attack. I mean, every single child that you see in your neighborhood needs Jesus. You win them to Christ when they're 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 years old, and you're not going to be visiting them in jail when they're 20 and 30-year-olds. The only hope for America, the only hope for Union Grove, Wisconsin, the only hope for Kenosha and Racine and Milwaukee and every other place around here is that we get out and see young people, and of course older folks, come to Christ. And it's so much easier to share Christ with them when they're young, when their hearts are still open and they aren't become slaves to sin and they're open. You say, ah, man, I see those little kids running around my neighborhood. Well, go to mom and dad and say, can we take your kids to Rwanda? Can we take them to Sunday school? And by the way, if you'd like to come, we'll take you too. Does that sound like a good idea? It is. Folks, that, that's a great reason why this church has been growing because people are doing exactly that. Hey, uh, uh, how'd you like to come to Union Grove Baptist Church? There's this guy, he preaches too long, he's too loud, he's too this, he's, but it's okay, just come and listen anyway. And they give good candy out. Whatever works. And, and, but folks, I'm dead serious. These young people that are out there, one last illustration. So Valerie and I, where's Valerie? There you are. And, uh, we went to a college down in Indiana. Now, many of you know about, uh, especially if you've been in the uh, mainly independent fundamental Baptist realm for more than, uh, if you've been around for 20, 30, 40 years, you know what I'm going to talk about. So uh, the particular church we went to, which was a mega church, and they had probably, I don't know, 150 different bus routes. You say, what do you mean a bus routes? Well, they'd, uh, they'd They'd rent buses, they bought buses, they'd go throughout Chicago area down in the Indiana part, mainly into the poor neighborhoods. And I was part of that, and I think I've talked about it once or twice here. And uh, we go in the neighborhood on Saturday, and we knock on doors, and you'd see little children running all over the place. And uh, uh, you'd uh, you say, hey, hey, little guy, how you doing? Hey, uh, how you doing? Uh, where do you live at? And they're like, well, we live up uh, uh, right there in that apartment. And I'm like, well, that's wonderful. It says, your mom or dad home? And they're like, well, mom's up there. And I'm like, oh, that's wonderful. Uh, uh, how would you like to go to church? 
like, well, no, what do you do at church? I've never been to church before. How'd you like to go to church? And I'm like, well, what do you do there? And I said, well, we have a great time, and we, and we talk about Bible stories, and uh, yeah, we've got some treats and all this, and, and you go up and you talk to mom, and it's like, hey, can, can we take your children to, to church with us today? And they're like, please take my children to church. And, uh, uh, and I mean it. You, you go there, and folks, it's the same in your neighborhoods. Now, some are going to be a little less open than others, but uh, you ask mom, you ask dad, you ask the guardian. And, and then if they're willing, you say, listen, uh, we'd be happy to take the kids to Milan or to Sunday school, or, or you can come along with us. We'd love to have you. And, and, all this, and just do it in your neighborhood. You don't have to be on a bus route. You don't have to buy buses and all that. You can do that, and God will bless it. But now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death. Christian, are you going to die the second death, which is the lake of fire for eternity? You've been delivered from it. I mean, you're delivered. You are not a slave to sin. You are not going to experience the second death. And Paul says to Timothy, hey, buddy, do you realize how good this is? Do you realize that you're not going to experience spiritual death because you placed your faith and trust in Christ? Now, do you think you can live for the Lord while, while you're here on this earth? He uh, abolished death and brought life and immortality to life through the what? The gospel. Folks, there's, uh, we give the gospel every single time I stand up. I don't care where I'm in. Some there, they're going to get the gospel. You say, I get tired of hearing it. Well, I hope not. We, we try to preach to uh, Christians and teach Christians 90% of the time in every message, except on a rare occasion when it's an evangelistic uh, a service like it's going to happen when Michael McCreary is here uh, in a few weeks. But what? The gospel to what? To which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. For this reason, Timothy, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung, if you ever listened to him, and he was one of my very, very close mentors, he called me his third son, Jimmy Jr., Rick Jr., or Rick uh, DeYoung, and... Uh, how, do the, how, do, how does that saying go? They're my brothers, but a different mother. <laughs> and Dr. DeYoung was just somebody I dearly loved, and I believe he loved me too. And he was a mentor in the faith. And if you listen to his broadcast, at the end of every broadcast, at the end of every CD, at the end of every recording, he made this statement. And I never, and, and I've, I've told this maybe once or twice here. I usually tell everything once or twice. But at the end of uh, a message, he'd always say this, and let's see how many of you know it. Keep looking up until you got it. Keep looking up until. And uh, I, I was when I first heard it, and when I first started following him, I'm like, why does he stop at the word until? That's grammatically terrible. You don't say I keep looking up until. Until what? Well, of course, uh, Dr. DeYoung was looking forward to the next major event on God's prophetic calendar, which is the rapture of the church. And in this verse, he is able to keep what I have committed to him until. 
When? That day. That day. The day when Jesus Christ comes in the air. And in those clouds, and I hope it's in our generation, folks, especially with the world going the way it is, and all of a sudden in the moment and in the twinkling of an eye, we shall all be changed. And boom, this old body, we shed it and put on that new immortal body, which will last forever. And Paul said, listen, Christian, you ready to shed this old body? Yeah, I think most of us are. Maybe some of the young people aren't quite ready yet. But most of us are. Astrid, I think you're ready to get a new body, right? Uh, wouldn't that be wonderful if Jesus came today and transformed that body and healed you up? And that's exactly what he's going to do. No more pain, no more suffering, no more tears. And Paul says, listen, Timothy, listen, Christian, every single one of us, there's coming a day when all the heartaches, all the pains, all the sufferings, all the things that have bothered us, bam, they're gone in a millisecond, gone in the twinkling of an eye, 1 Corinthians 15. In a twinkling of an eye, we'll be changed and it'll all be good. But Timothy, listen, buddy. Listen, my friend. Listen, my young man. Are you going to live for me? Are you going to live for Jesus, that is? Until. Are you going to live for Jesus until? Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you'd help each one of us to live until. That day when you come in the clouds, in the air, to take us home to be with you. Now, Father, whether our death comes first and we're absent from the body and present the Lord, or whether we're that one fortunate generation that will experience the rapture of the church, Lord, would you help us to say, listen, I know I was a slave of sin. I knew I was bound up by sinful habits, sinful ways. But boy, the way Paul talked to Timothy, he was a great guy, he was a great preacher, he was a great teacher. And man, he just stressed how important it is to live for Jesus every single day of their life. And maybe none of us will ever end up in prison as the Apostle Paul did. But Father, help us to have the same tenacity he did. Help us to have the same love for people that he did. Help us to have the same love for uh, discipling young people and other believers and help us to invest in lives. Help us to go into our neighborhood and uh, invite folks to come to church, invite folks to come to Christ. Help us to do everything we possibly can, go to heaven. Well, I'll tell you what, how about like Paul talking to Timothy and he said, listen, son, let me tell you the greatest news that I can possibly give you. And here it is. He said, uh, and, and Paul uh, gives us in the book of Romans the things that we've got to know. Four quick things. Listen, please, and we'll be done. Number one, Bible says, and uh, Paul wrote it, Romans 3.23, that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Not a single person is perfect. We're all born in sin. The second thing Paul wrote to us was in Romans 6.23 that the wages are what we've earned because we've sinned is death. Not just physical death, yes, that's part of it, but spiritual death, the second death, eternal separation from God in an awful place called the Lake of Fire, Revelation 21.8. But Paul also told us in, Rev in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, he says that God demonstrated his love for us in this, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You say, I wasn't alive when Jesus uh, 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 gave his life. Well, Jesus died for you almost 2,000 years ago. He paid the price for your sin. 
And then finally he says this, listen, would you accept the free gift? Once again, Paul wrote it to us in Ephesians chapter 2. We've given this to you already. What does it say for by grace? God's free unmerited gift. Are you saved, saved from sin, saved from the penalty of sin? Because it's not of yourselves. You can't earn salvation. You can't earn heaven by what you do. For by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any person should boast. Right there where you are, would you receive that free gift tonight? Would you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? The alternative to rejecting Jesus, unfortunately, is an eternity in a lake of fire called hell. And God does not want you to go to hell. The Bible makes it very clear that he made hell for the devil and his angels. But unfortunately, every person that rejects Jesus, hell will be their eternal home, that lake of fire. How about getting right with God tonight and receiving that free gift? Are you willing to do that? Maybe you'd like to tell the Lord, uh, uh, it's by faith, there's nothing you need to do. But maybe you'd like to thank him for what he's offering to you tonight and embrace it. Maybe you want to say something like this in a prayer. I'll say a prayer you can follow along. The prayer won't save you, but your faith will. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner, and I know I don't deserve to go to heaven. But tonight I understand that Jesus Christ, God's Son, came down from heaven, died on the cross for my sins, was buried, and three days later rose from the dead, proving he was God. And I'm going to receive that free gift tonight that... Uh, Paul talked about in Ephesians. I'm receiving that free gift of eternal life by placing my faith and trust in Jesus. Thank you for saving me. Christian, are you a slave of sin tonight? How about turning the tide and taking on what Paul asked you to do, what Jesus himself asked us to do, become a slave of righteousness. Father, seal decisions, please. And all God's people said,